You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Ayla Ellison. As this year draws to an end, I wanted to express a heartfelt thank you to all of our listeners. We have a lot of exciting content in store for 2024, and we can't wait to share it with you. Today's episode signals the end of 2023 for Podnosis as the Fierce team takes a well-deserved holiday break. We'll return with a fresh episode on January 10th. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the impact of AI on healthcare. It's undeniable that AI is a transformative force reshaping the contours of healthcare and medicine. From automating clinical notes to expediting clinical trials and enhancing patient communications, the influence of AI is palpable. However, with great power comes great responsibility, and the healthcare community is grappling with the promises and perils of integrating AI into its fabric. Looking ahead to 2024, Stanford HealthCare's chief data scientist, Dr. Negam Shah, shares his insights on where the industry is headed and what we can anticipate as AI adoption accelerates. In an interview with senior editor Heather Landy, he covers the details of the Biden administration's executive order on AI, addresses ethical concerns surrounding AI, and discusses how the federal government, industry coalitions, and providers are collectively working to pave the way forward for the responsible use of AI. Here they are. Hi, Dr. Shaw. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with you um, about AI and healthcare. There's a lot of ongoing debate about the promises and perils of using AI in healthcare and the need for standards and guardrails. I want to chat with you about where the industry is headed and what we can anticipate as far as ongoing innovation and addressing ethical issues around using AI. As we go into 2024, where will AI make the biggest impact in healthcare? So that is a question on everybody's mind, and it's also very difficult to answer where the impact will be. I think it's a little bit easier to answer where the attempts will be to realize impact. And I would say that the attempts will be around trying to get the drudgery out of delivering healthcare because nobody likes it. Not the doctors, not the administrators, payers, patients, what have you. So that is where I think we will put the most effort in realizing impact. And for our uh, listeners, sort of the framework I would want to plant in people's thinking is think of three things, three buckets. There is showing the way what needs to be done. Then there is paving the way, which is figuring out how we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And then there's traveling the way, the actual day-to-day execution of those things. And the different efforts that are going around, like the President Biden's executive order, it points the way, shows the way. Entities such as the Coalition for Health AI tells us how to pave the way, as in how can we accomplish what the direction setting from the government is coming from. And then there's still the third piece, which is we actually have to travel the way. As a data scientist, what excites you most about the accelerated adoption of AI in healthcare? And then what also are your biggest concerns? What absolutely delights me is the sheer number of people who are talking about AI. Never, ever have so many people been this interested. So that's like, it's a great opportunity. What scares me about it is that 
so many people are interested. So expectations are so high that we're definitely headed for a little bit of a letdown because when you inflate expectations that much and a few things will happen that are not the best, like a few mistakes will happen when a billion people around the world experiment with some piece of technology, even at 0.01% error rate, a few mistakes will happen. And what I hope is that those mistakes don't get blown out of proportion and then create an environment of fear. So how is this AI wave different than the waves that have come before? I think in terms of its accessibility, like previous waves, you know, technology was doing impressive things as of that time. uh, But there was no mechanism for, you know, the general person, an educated person, but not in the field to try it out. Today, anyone can go to a website or an API and try it out. Like high school kids can experiment with, uh, with AI. And so the democratization and pervasive availability, I think, is the, the main differentiator. So how is Stanford Healthcare using AI, and in particular generative AI right now? What is Stanford's approach? So we, you know, just a little while ago, we laid out the showing the way, paving the way, and traveling the way. I would say we're in the paving the way stage. Uh, We're doing pilots, we're doing tests to assess whether the technology that we're all so excited about, particularly, you know, say ambient transcription, for example, or responding to messages using uh, uh, language models, is it going to deliver on the value we hope it would? So I would say we're in limited pilots stage with, you know, 50 or 100 clinicians uh, with extensive guardrails around it. And we'll do several of these to figure out what is it that we would want to accelerate, you know, at scale. And that's for generative AI. But there's already about 30 or so software solutions that have an AI component that are being used on a routine basis, Uh, you know, typically in image processing, in segmenting uh, a volume of an organ before radiation oncology and those kinds of things. What ethical considerations should providers and health systems be aware of when using generative AI models? I think the biggest one is in case of generative AI, like we don't even have a firm grasp on how to think about the ethical issues. Um, in, in, in the traditional, or you know, as someone was saying, standard AI, not traditional makes it sound old, in standard AI, like, there's general agreement that we should worry about disparate impact on subgroups. We should worry about disparate consequences on subgroups and so on. And we can upfront measure that. For generative AI, let's say I'm using a, a bot or, or a language model to answer to an email from you. How do I know it's producing a systematically different email for you versus an email to my student? How is the company that made it even possibly going to test for that? So it pushes the burden of figuring out whether this thing is making a different impact on the end user. How is the end user supposed to do that? Mm-hmm. So that those are the challenges. Like the principles remain the same. You mentioned that you have guardrails in place. What exactly does that mean? I think the, uh, the way to conceptualize guardrails is that we acknowledge the fact that given this democratization, given this use at scale, even at a low error rate, a few things will go wrong. The, the purpose of guardrails is to a, detect and intercept those things, basically intervene when we see a message going you know, off the rails or a prediction going out of bounds of reason, 
and they can take two forms. Guardrails can come in the form of how do you design the system so that you're prepared to catch such things? And in the form of we actively try to adversarially attack the system to break it see how often we succeed, which then guides us further. Biden recently issued a a sweeping executive order on AI. The executive order establishes principles, tasks federal agencies with developing methods of testing AI usage in their work, and codifies governmental oversight of AI. What is your take on the executive order, and what do you think we're going to see happen in the next year? So I'm pretty excited about the executive order, and my comments are mostly about the healthcare part of it, uh, which is, you know, Section 8G2, to be very specific, I think it lays out a few really great principles. One that I like the most is that it requires people to disclose when something bad happened, when you used AI, track it, and also document what you did to mitigate it. That's brilliant, uh, because otherwise we live in fear. Um, When you use AI and nobody reports what bad things happen, we just don't know. So imagine if, you know, uh, road crashes by cars and trucks were never reported to anybody. Like, how would we know some vehicle is safe and the other is not? And so that reporting is something that's great. Kind of laid out um, some some actions that are supposed to take place fairly, fairly soon. Um Right now, AI isn't being used in clinical care. The focus has been more on on administrative functions and automating clinical notes. Do you think at some point it will be used in clinical care? And how does the industry advance to that point? So I, I firmly believe that at some point it has to get into clinical care. Uh, will it be five years? Will it be 10 years? I don't know. And the reason I say it has to is that like our central problem in the USA and most other countries is the need to deliver care to a very large population for cheap. And the only way that happens is that we use technology to augment human beings or in somehow take work away from them in a good way. AI can manage somebody's hypertension. Like let's have an algorithm manage it so that the clinician or the registered nurse practitioners can focus on things AI cannot do, given that we already have this massive provider shortage. What would be your advice to patients when we go to a doctor? You know, what questions should we be asking in terms of, you know, is my doctor using AI? How is the health system using AI? So I'm going to share some controversial advice. Uh, You know, amongst the most feared (laughs) words doctors have is when somebody says, go talk to your doctor. (laughs) We're already pressed for time and like, really? Yet another conversation? (laughs) That's something I don't know. (laughs) I would say asking the frontline physician, your primary care provider, your rheumatologist, your endocrinologist is a little bit unfair because they're also still trying to figure it out. I think the questions should be going from patients or patient advocacy groups to payers, to hospital administration, to regulators, to device manufacturers, to say, what are you guys doing so that the doctor knows how to use what you're building? What would you like to see the healthcare industry do to move forward with using generative AI models while still ensuring efficacy and patient safety? So imagine a triangle where the top vertex is building models. Uh, The lower left is verifying benefits, and the lower right is deploying the solution in a health IT system. I think health 
healthcare executives need to think about all three things at the same time. You know, the usual sort of stepwise thinking is let's get best of breed model, test it in a pilot, and then deploy it. If we make those decisions sequentially, uh, it might end up being terribly expensive. As a concrete example, let's say there is a company that shall remain unnamed that produces a model to answer to patient messages, and it costs 20 cents a message. We choose to buy them because they're the best. Then we do a test that to verify its value, and let's say the test says, well, it works about half the time. Then we deploy it, and it turns out that in order to deploy it, we need to buy some new hardware or whatever, or go through some special API, and we need to pay somebody to make it secure, yada, yada. Alternatively, we could have analyzed this triangle simultaneously and say, how about we consider an open source model that might have a slightly higher error rate, but it's free to use and can run entirely on our local hardware, greatly simplifying the cost of deployment. And if we knew all three variables, we might choose to go with the open source model that is like 10x cheaper or free we accept that it has 2% higher error rate. So I think we need to think about the full package, the full triangle. Anything that you think that uh, that people should be asking about AI and healthcare, anything I didn't bring up? I think the, the central uh, need of the hour is to have cross-discipline conversations. Like healthcare is incredibly siloed. Uh, you know, the rheumatologist might never talk to the neurosurgeons who might never talk to the pharmacists the radiologist or patient transport or social services or what have you, the, the defining feature of incorporating AI into healthcare is that if one service uses AI, it creates work for another. So for example, if our uh, cardiovascular service line starts using a classifier to find undiagnosed patients who might have you know, familial hypercholesterolemia or might have peripheral artery disease. We suspect it, but we don't know. And an algorithm can tell us that. And let's say cardiovascular service deploys that to create work for the primary care doctors because they're the ones getting the alerts to do something about their patient who we believe now has this undiagnosed condition. So dialogue between disciplines becomes crucial it's been really great chatting with you, and I've learned a lot <laughs> about AI. So I appreciate you sharing your expertise. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Podnosis. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at fiercehealthcare.com look for podcasts. We look forward to sharing more content with you in the upcoming year. Until then, wishing you a joyful holiday season and a fantastic start to the new year.